Back on the Federal Drive with Tom Temin on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu filling in for Tom Temin this week. Hearing problems, particularly tinnitus, are the most common service-connected disability the VA compensates veterans for. So perhaps it's no surprise that some of the country's most advanced research into auditory dysfunction is funded and performed by VA itself. The epicenter of that work is the National Center for Rehabilitative Auditory Research in Portland, Oregon. Dr. Patrick Feeney is the director of the center, and he's just won the 2019 Jurger Career Award from the American Academy of Audiology for a career's worth of research in the field. Dr. Feeney talked with me by phone about hearing loss in the veterans population and some of the key research advances over the course of his 30-year career. One of the biggest causes of hearing loss uh, at any age or uh, veteran or non-veteran is noise and high levels of sound, uh, whether it's at a rock concert or an in industry or on the battlefield can cause damage to the auditory system. The, the inner ear is very sensitive to loud sounds. It's The inner ear actually is a, is a bit of an amplifier itself. It takes very low level sounds and there's a, a, a bit of an amplifier inside the cochlea, the inner ear. And uh, that Amplify, amplification allows us to hear very soft sounds like as you can imagine we can hear things like a mosquito off in the distance slightly and and yet we can tolerate the explosions um, but sometimes those very loud sounds can can do damage um, and so um, it's the inner ear that that uh, is affected um, primarily but we also have uh, a lot of our veterans for example have uh, incidents on the battlefield where they're exposed to blasts and uh, concussions, that type of thing. And and those central um, insults to the brain can cause uh, tinnitus and hearing loss as well. The type of hearing loss that that goes with uh, a blast injury or concussion, we talk about as central auditory uh, deficits, whereas a person might have a normal hearing test um, and uh, and be able to hear soft sounds, but when they try to understand speech in the background noise, they have a lot more trouble than the average person. And that's because the brain is having difficulty sorting out those sounds. And uh, you mentioned tinnitus as the number one uh, compensated dis- uh, disability f- among veterans. And, and oftentimes, hearing loss and tinnitus go hand in hand. Uh, hearing loss is the number two compensated disability overall for veterans. So um, a, a very sensitive organ that uh, uh, we don't know exactly uh, the cause of tinnitus. There are probably many causes. Uh, and we, a lot of the folks here at uh, the NCRIR where I work are, are involved in uh, trying to sort out uh, ways to help people deal with tinnitus. Yeah, say a little bit more about the center that you direct. What are what are some of the primary focus areas that you're involved in right now? Yeah, well, we we have a center that uh, is the National Center for Rehabilitative Auditory Research. It's uh, a center that's funded by Rehabilitation Research and Development Service of, of the Office of Research and Development, and um, we are funded to uh, look at uh, hearing uh, disorders and balance uh, disorders. Uh, and so among that would be hearing loss. We have a, a large uh, tinnitus research effort uh, headed up by Dr. Jim Henry. Actually, a few years ago, uh, also received the Jurger Award for his work in in, um, in audiology across his career. So he is involved in uh, developing uh, 
triaging method for tinnitus called progressive tinnitus management. And uh, it's been adopted across the VA. And so when, when an individual has uh, ringing in their ears or some other form of noise in their ears, uh, there's a step-by-step -step process of evaluating them to see uh, if they need further uh, assessment or, or treatment. Most people with tinnitus, for example, have are not bothered by it. They might have uh, uh, ringing that they notice when it's very quiet, and and uh, once they realize that it's it kind of goes hand in hand maybe with the hearing loss that they might have, uh, they're they're able to deal with it. But other individuals need some counseling about it, and um, so this triage method that uh, Dr. Henry developed allows the audiologist to go through uh, and 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 find out what's going on with the individual. Um, I mentioned BLAST, and um, we do a lot of work on central auditory processing and BLAST exposure. Dr. Eric Gallen uh, has been uh, spearheading that effort here, um, and Melissa Pepesh, uh, who's a career development awardee uh, in the VA. And uh, so they're looking at um, Cases where individuals come in and they have a normal audiogram, their hearing test is normal, but gee, they have trouble hearing. And what's going on? And we found we've found over a number of years that individuals have who have had blast exposure have difficulty uh, sorting out speech when there's background noise. And there's different ways of trying to treat that. Uh, the the main uh, thrust uh, over the last few years has been what are methods that we can use to identify the problem um, and based on uh, history and so forth in an individual. So we also uh, in our center do work on um, ototoxicity. Ototoxicity is toxicity to the ear. And uh, many individuals who are receiving, for example, chemotherapy for cancer uh, or are taking some uh, aminoglycoside drugs for infection um, are exposed to these uh, these drugs that might uh, affect their hearing. And so um, Dr. Don Conrad Martin uh, has been involved for a number of years in looking at what's the best way to monitor for this uh, toxic effect in the ear. And um, uh, I've been doing some work in that area as well. So um, we've established that uh, uh, ototoxicity starts in the very, very, very highest frequencies that we can perceive, and so uh, it's critical to test uh, beyond the normal range of, of hearing threshold frequencies that we test on an audiogram to, to, to detect these uh, insults uh, as soon as possible and uh, alert the treating physician to what's going on. And, and perhaps uh, in some cases they can uh, modify the treatment to uh, uh, maintain hearing, but still uh, treat the patient uh, effectively. In addition to all of the, the diagnostic and, and treatment research you've been talking about, I, I'm curious if you've discovered any you know, particularly innovative approaches to prevention, it, because it seems to me that, especially among the veteran population, if you're going to effectively prevent, you're going to have to reach into the military services to accomplish some of that. Well, that's that's a, a very good point. And uh, one of the things that um, we don't have really good uh, information on is what actually causes this uh, over over the course of being a soldier and then being discharged and then becoming a veteran. Where in that period of of uh, effect uh, is is the damage happening, and is it a progressive thing or not? And uh, as a result of uh, our lack of information, um, Dr. Uh, Jim Henry has. Uh, 
been funded by the actually for by the Department of Defense to examine the epidemiology of hearing loss and tinnitus, so that we can. Uh, this is a, a large study that's that's uh, hopefully going to be going on for a number of years, uh, that will tell us uh, exactly where the problem exists and w what exactly is happening to these individuals. Some of them are not only exposed to uh, loud noises, as we mentioned before, but they could be uh, exposed to certain chemicals. Uh, they could uh, also uh, interact with the hearing uh, damage uh, caused by noise uh, to cause further damage. So uh, the epidemiology of or studying uh, how this all occurs is one thing we're doing right now um, in terms of, of prevention. And that's one of the focus areas of our uh, of our center is uh, assessment and treatment um, and prevention and then rehabilitation. This is probably a difficult uh, question to answer over a 30-year career, but but over that time span, what have been the most significant or interesting breakthroughs in, in, in treating and detecting auditory dysfunction that, that, that you've come across in your career? Well, um, it, that's actually not a hard question because uh, I've um, about the time I... Uh, I graduated with uh, my master's degree as a, as a audiologist. There was a discovery by um, a man named David Kemp in England. He discovered that the ear seems to generate sound. Uh, and uh, we were um, all a bit surprised in my um, training as, as an audiologist. Uh, of course, we didn't know about that. And uh, as it turns out, uh, I mentioned that the uh, the ear acts like a little amplifier previously. And in fact, Dr. Kemp uh, made a number of really elegant uh, experiments to discover, in fact, uh, that there were sounds coming out of the ear and that you could evoke those sounds. So for example, if you put a sound in, you could actually measure, uh, in fact, what he called originally echoes coming from the ear. And, and the reason that we have those is basically because of that amplification system that, that uh, allows us to hear these very soft sounds. Um, and it's basically that energy spills out and causes sound to come back out of the ear. Now, that's an important discovery because uh, as over time, uh, over the time of my career, we've used that, what we call otoacoustic emissions, uh, we use that as a, as a screening method for hearing. And so um, most children, the um, vast majority of children in the United States, for example, who are uh, born in a hospital have, uh, before they get discharged, they have a hearing test. And typically that hearing test is using otoacoustic emissions. And we can tell if the inner ear is functioning normally because of those otoacoustic emissions. Uh, and uh, when, when I received uh, the Jurger Award uh, um, at, at the ceremony, that same uh, evening, uh, Dr. Kemp received a, a special award from the American Academy of Audiology for his work that he did. So uh, that, that's hands down the biggest thing. But in terms of rehabilitation, uh, the cochlear implant is, has been developed largely uh, over the course of my career. And um, the cochlear implant is a, a electrical stimulation of the nerve of hearing uh, as a result of uh, uh, individuals who have severe to profound hearing loss who might not benefit from a hearing aid. We've been developing that uh, in the field uh, over these uh, number of years, and now it's a, a standard treatment uh, option for individuals with uh, severe to profound hearing loss. And the degree of hearing loss that an individual 
is, is requires to have before they become a candidate has actually been increasing. In other words, the uh, benefit from uh, cochlear implants is, is, uh, is close to the benefit that you might expect for hearing aids, depending on the degree of hearing loss that an individual has. So uh, cochlear implants for rehabilitation is amazing. And ch young children who uh, are born with a severe to profound hearing loss or develop it typically don't uh, develop uh, speech and language as they normally uh, could. And with the advent of the cochlear implant, being able to implant children um, uh, under uh, one year of age or around that time, uh, children are able to develop uh, speech and language in, in a nearly normal, uh, catch up with their peers in a normal way. And one key factor about that was uh, using those autoacoustic emissions that I mentioned with, with Dr. Kemp, we were able to identify babies very early on uh, who might have some hearing loss and do additional tests and get them some rehabilitation early on. So uh, cochlear implant and autoacoustic emissions, I think, over my career are the, are the two big elements. That's Dr. Patrick Feeney, the director of VA's National Center for Rehabilitative Auditory Research in Portland, Oregon. You can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Still to come on Federal News Radio, DOD wants industry's help to innovate with 5G technologies. That's next on the Federal Drive with Tom Temin on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu filling in for Tom. SMS text, 9.32 p.m. Hey, man. I'm not home yet. Grabbing a quick drink with my lady friend, LOL. But just wait for me there, dude. The spare key is under the big gray planter by the garage. Peace. When you send messages on SMS, someone else could be reading them. With end-to-end -end encryption, WhatsApp ensures that your personal messages are your personal messages. WhatsApp. Always message privately.